0: The Numinous Podcast, with Carmen Spaniola.
1: Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples. Those are the Songhees and the Esquimalt First Nations, colonially known as Victoria, BC, Canada. This is part two of our seven-episode mini-series on planetary magic and propitiation. We began on a Sunday with Eliza Robertson talking about the sun, and here we are on a Monday, and I'm speaking with Bronwyn Simons about moon magic and wisdom. Bronwyn and I both live on Vancouver Island, even though we are a few hours apart. Still, we're both island gals. And I really enjoy following Bronwyn on Instagram. I've learned so much from her about, well, just so many different aspects of astrology. But as soon as I had the idea to do a series on planetary magic, I knew I wanted her to speak about the moon. She just really embodies what she calls lunar consciousness, at least for me. Well, actually, she'll tell you how her makeup astrologically, she's made for this. She was made for this episode. Bronwyn is an award-winning astrologer with extensive teaching experience who also brings mediumship skills to her work and she's very generous and eloquent in her teaching and I'm delighted to share this conversation with you now and at the end I'll tell you how you can work with Bronwyn and the moon this summer but for now enjoy. So great to have you on the show, Bronwyn. Thank you for saying yes to being here. I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everyone. What identities do you lead with?
0: It's it's such a good question for for me as a mercurial person. We were talking about this before I came on. With Gemini as my ascendant, Mercury is my ruling planet, and that word mercurial really applies because my lifetime has kind of been a lifetime of shifting identities. And I think what's prominent right now in the midst of my second Saturn return is leaning into identifying as an elder and everything that that carries with it. I'm first generation white lady on native land here in Qualicum Beach. Uh, I'm autistic, which I'm just starting to be more out about. So my awkwardness is my superpower (laughs) and I'm a spirit worker. So I think those are those are the the pieces that are right up there right now. Elder is the big one.
1: Beautiful. Exciting. You know how excited I am about elderhood. Can't wait to be there myself. Always grateful to have eldering. So this is a very exciting moment for me. So you're here to lead us through what you call the gateway, mm-hmm. the relationship with the moon. I would love... For you to say more about how the moon is the gateway to, well, to what?
0: Yeah, to understanding of um, cyclical time. And understanding cyclical time is really the key to learning or being initiated into the wisdom of astrology. And it's very, it's a very different worldview or mindset than what we are what we learn or what we're indoctrinated into in this culture, which is very linear, linear, very solar with um, always the concept of timelines. And the moon teaches us about repetition and spiraling and the equal balance of light and dark that is really the rule of all of nature. And because she cycles so rapidly as we are being initiated into astrological knowledge. And this is one sense in which she's a gateway. She teaches us what those cycles that we also see in the planets, because the planets of course have phases and cycles. Um, She teaches us that, she teaches us to embody those cycles because of that rapid movement. So we, we have a full Saturn cycle in 30 years. I was just referencing my Saturn return. We have a full lunar cycle in 30 days. But we go through similar experiences with each of those cycles. So she teaches us how to cycle and mm-hmm. how to do the bigger natural cycles in our lives.
1: Mm, it's beautiful to think of the moon in that kind of way. Now, I notice you're using she her, and I have always been brought up to think of the moon in a, a female as female or having um being more woman identified. I know there are other cultures where the sun is gendered as woman and the moon is gendered as man. And I'm most of the astrologers I'm around seem very fluid in gender or at least, you know, um, are not too bound up on whether or not a planet or a heavenly body is supposed to be coded, male or female. I'm just curious, how do you hold gender with the moon?
0: Uh, I think this is a really important question. And yes, many different cultures and different individuals handle this in different ways. I think it's really just as with our own gender identity, it's, uh, that's really interesting with the moon, because yes, our culture does view her um, even Even Western astrology, um, when we go back to the roots of Western astrology, um, the moon is now associated with mother, but hasn't always been Mm. so I choose and I do choose those pronouns consciously for her, I think more because of my own lunar placement, and my own identities and These planetary archetypes transcend human choices around gender. And I love that there's so much work being done now to uproot the the sticky and unhelpful connections of our society's ideas about gender to the way gender is used in astrology. Because in traditional astrology, the planets are gendered. But there can be really different ways of thinking about that that aren't attached to human gender identities. So long story short, I think this is a choice that each of us can make for ourselves with the moon and with each of the planets where it lands for us in our conception of the whole spectrum of gender, where it lands for us in our own chart and our own way of being and the way that we as individuals express different aspects of gender in our own lives and where that lands for us. So I would encourage you and and everyone to not just take the traditional view and assume a certain gender for a planet, but really think it through, where does that land for you among your own identities and how do you choose to integrate that? And especially with the moon because she is the impacts of our early experiences. She is our emotional body and how we somaticize emotions she is the holder of memory and she does hold that place in the chart of primary caretaker which for many of us traditionally has been the woman but of course isn't always Um, and that (laughs) with that come all of our ideas about what mother is but you know it can be the whole range of experiences but because of that intimacy of the moon being the closest celestial body and expressing those very intimate parts of the self like when you notice somebody's natal moon you know how they need to be taken care of emotionally Mm -hmm. so because of that i think it may be even more important to think that through for yourself and what that choice is and different moons in different people's charts and different ways of feeling that in your own chart might be gendered in really different ways The truth is we don't have the language yet. We really don't have the language yet. And it gets. Um, Jumping ahead to the rage. (laughs) Question at the end of the podcast. Um, No, but I'm looking forward to a time when we can talk more fluidly about these topics because we have more expansive language. Hmm. I continue to consciously use those she, her pronouns for the moon, but that's my own personal choice about my moon
1: mm-hmm.
0: my degree cancer moon in the second house and the way that i um really in some ways own and embody a more traditional mother elder mother archetype in my own self and my own work and my own identity so it's more a reflection of that than what i think anybody else should be applying to their own moon or or the moon mm-hmm. <laughs> it slips out of my mouth she her because oh no, that's, that's
1: great. Cool. I love hearing it, your perspective, and I've asked all the astrologers and herbalists, um, this for this mini series because we do just naturally kind of slip out sometimes it's they, sometimes it's he, sometimes it's she, and so I'm always just curious how people have come to that. And everyone has had very thoughtful, um, responses. So, thank you for that. Can you tell us more about, um, Maybe before we go into like, this is what the moon represents and the associations, we'll get into that. But can you tell us about your relationship with the moon? When did you know that this was going to be such a significant relationship for you?
0: Yeah, I love this question. And actually, whenever I teach workshops on the moon, it's one of the questions that I lead with is I ask people to think about a significant memory in which the moon plays a part because we all have those memories, usually early memories. And they're usually memories of beautiful contact with nature, or they're memories of gathering together with people that we love, or they're memories of intimacy, or they're memories of reaching outward into the natural world for comfort during times of times of trauma. They kind those are those are almost the universals, I've heard a lot of stories of formative memories of the moon now, and almost all of them have one of those qualities of gathering, of um, first intimations of the sacredness of nature, of looking outside ourselves for comfort when human life becomes unbearable, often as a child. Um, and then, then there's the classic memory of riding in the car as a little child and realizing that the moon follows you. <laughs> So it, i think within all of us there's that archetypal awakening and awareness of this this companion of the earth who is always there and again going back to that metaphor of the gateway um i i'm built astrologically to be extraordinarily receptive to the moon there's For many of us within their charts, there's a planet called the final dispositor, who's like the CEO of the chart. They get to make all the decisions. Not everybody's chart lines up that way. But for many of us, there's one that everybody else answers to. For me, that's the moon. She's in her rulership in Cancer. She's at zero degrees, which is a a potent seed degree. Um, She's conjunct my north node and my Venus. So I'm kind of set up to be uh, a moon person. And I grew up on the Bay of Fundy like right on the Bay of Fundy outside of my bedroom window. So I grew up with that really profound connection to extreme tides and an understanding from a really early age, that the tide and the moon were connected. I was a lonely only child with lots of trauma that kind of connected and bonded with nature and with the tides and with the moon. So for me, those memories are That early connection with nature being so supportive and the moon being a constant, a fluctuating constant, which is the paradox Mm -hmm. of her presence right and a realization of her impact on us literally the way that she moves the tides and spiritually metaphorically the way she holds that. presence and witnessing that I think we often feel that's so hard to describe when we see her, we feel witnessed by something we can't really name or put our finger on. So she's been a presence for me. This is the she too, because in many ways I wasn't mothered very well and she was my mother. So that's actually a really profound question. And when I put myself back there, it's that, in the blessings of my childhood were that close contact with nature dark night sky and learning about the stories of the night sky and that presence of the ocean and the moon. Mm. Yeah, Mm.
1: that's so touching. And I'm so glad you had her in such an available and accessible way (laughs) as that mothering figure as sort of a counterpoint to that. Um, not knowing who my biological dad is having no contact and growing up with, um, My mom, my three aunties, my grandma and my great grandma in this like two, three bedroom house, like two bedroom with a basement house and one bathroom, like very, very um, lunar kind of energy in many ways. And I used to always just feel that I was a child of the cosmos on my dad's side. Like I, that, I just like came from the universe, which is like maybe more of a Saturnian thing. Like somewhere out there, <laughs> there's this kind of thing. I'm
0: sort <laughs> of Athena, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I can relate to that feeling.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, okay, if you were introducing the moon to somebody in terms of planetary propitiation magic we're doing astro magic and you were like okay this is what the moon represents in astrology w- what would you say the moon rules or relates to you've
0: mentioned many things but
1: if we were just like here's a guideline what would you say
0: and and as we enter enter into that idea of um planetary magic and propitiation and remediation. It's important to make the distinction between the planets and the luminaries because they represent really different energies and places in our lives and charts. Um, So the luminaries, of course, being the lights of our life, the sun and the moon, and the moon holding lunar consciousness, the sun holding solar consciousness. The best way to express that is to think about when we walk outside in the daylight and look about We see the edges of things, we're able to name things, we we see the details of things really clearly, and the places that separate things are very, very clear. And we can navigate really easily with our, um, with our obvious senses, right? Mm -hmm. Navigate with our vision. Walk into the same landscape at night, and everything has lost its edges. We can no longer clearly define or name or even see individual things. Everything has merged together. And in order to navigate, and here's here's, um, a piece that I recommend that people do in order to engage with lunar consciousness, is to go outside and into a familiar landscape on a very dark, say, new moon night, and just find your way around and embody that difference between lunar and solar consciousness. So it's an awakening of a heightening of the senses because we need to rely on more than our vision. It's an acknowledgement that things in our environment are always changing, that they're shape-shifting, that, that edges are not uh, a guarantee, <laughs> that there's different approaches to the way that we move through the world and the the black box of the brain does different things Mm -hmm. at different times. Um, So the lights behave differently in our lives than the planets because we depend on the sun for our life. Uh, The moon holds that intimacy of our life on earth. So when we work with these as archetypes and think about engaging in magic with the sun and moon and engaging, and propitiation or remediation is not so much necessary because these are our life givers anyway. Hmm. So I think of being in relationship with the moon. How do we deepen that relationship? So first thing, just be with with her, be with the moon. Even without knowing your natal moon, just get outside every day and try to find her in the sky. Even just doing that for one lunar month, that exercise of trying to find her in the sky, because she will surprise you. Mm
1: -hmm. If you haven't
0: learned the lunar cycle and its intricacies and how it changes from day to day, it's a beautiful way to learn it. It's just to get outside and find her every day and watch her changes and talk to her. So number one, you want to get intimate with the moon, get intimate with the moon, develop a one-on-one relationship with her. If we think about traditional ways to heighten that relationship with the moon, Wear silver, wear gray, Um, wear a moonstone, (laughs) work with moonstones, Um, lunar herbs. Sandalwood is something that I've been really enjoying as a a plant that connects us to the moon. There are lots of lunar herbs and I'm sure there's other people that can speak uh, with more expertise on that than I, but I've been diffusing sandalwood uh, not only does it help us to enter into that lunar consciousness and dream state and heightens our intuition, which belongs to the moon, but it's a way of honoring the moon. Create little altars to the moon at the at the lunations, at the the newer, the full moon. This is such an important, and I know this is a really important practice for you too, Carmen, that altar building is <laughs> a connection to, to the divine, to the archetypes. So this is something I do monthly is create a moon altar. And Know your natal moon after you've done all of those things. Know your natal moon and understand uh, that you can use the qualities of your natal moon to more deeply understand the transiting moon. So those are some starting places. Uh, Some people like to make infusions with the moon. I think this is something that I would encourage you to do when you have advanced a little bit in your understanding of how the moon in relationship with all of the other planets affects the energy in every given moment. Because when you come to making uh, potions or making um, talismans, the idea with that is that you're capturing the essence of a moment. So having just a little more wisdom and knowledge about what exactly you're capturing (laughs) is really important. Uh, Not to discourage people from going out and making your full moon water, if that lights you up. I think that's beautiful. But it's also really helpful to know what else you're capturing with that. Because she translates the light, right? This is this is a uh from the ancient astrologers this idea of translating the light actually has a specific technical meaning in traditional astrology, but I like it as a metaphor for the again the gateway role that she plays in our lives. She Is taking the light of the Sun and all of the other planetary and stellar lights in the sky holding them within herself and assimilating them digesting them like pre-digesting those lights for us we can't look straight at the Sun but we can look at the raw sunlight directly through the face of the moon and all of the other stellar and planetary lights reflected through her too. So technically we can use that in in our astrology, but just knowing that idea, I think also brings us back to her purpose in our lives, which is to make those archetypal energies more real and bringing them into a human scale and making them available to our individual consciousness and our individual dream time. Just as a caretaker will prepare food for an infant whether you're preparing it through your body or preparing it with love with your hands. You you aren't just giving adult food directly to an infant, it would be too much, it would overwhelm the system. Just like that solar light and even some of the archetypal light of the planets, it's too much for our human psyches to take in. The moon translates that light to us so we can understand it, absorb it and work with it. It's just part of the magic that she delivers, that Mm. ability to bring those archetypes down to a level where we can hold them in our bodies and psyches.
1: I love that you're bringing up archetypes because there are different archetypes of the moon because she has these different lunations. She has different phases. So there's so and this is one of the reasons why working with the moon, it, it, it is like a pretty fun and um on the one hand, easy, but on the other hand, really expansive place to start with our planetary magic, because there's just so many different aspects to her. And like you say, she cycles really quickly. (laughs) So in like a season, you know, you could have had like some pretty good practice at what is the different quality between dark moon, new moon, you know, balsamic, that kind of thing. So would you since since this is so unique to working with the Moon, would you mind taking us through the the major lunations and different archetypes that that could kind of speak to her different faces?
0: I would love to. I would love to. This is a passion of mine is working with those phases of the moon. Um, just a word about phases. This again, also is a cultural thing. but there are as many phases of the moon as there are moments in, in her cycle. And we can define that lots of different ways. In our culture and in our astrology, we take on that idea of um, bordering the circle, right? Which is putting the cross of matter together with the circle of spirit and defining time and and um, defining space with those two symbols. So we do the same when when we work with the phases of the moon. But I just think it's important to know that, that this is one really beautiful, really valid way of working with her changes over the course of the month, but there's lots of different ways to do it. So we recognize eight major phases of the moon. So we take, um, of course, the new moon is the beginning, the new moon being when the moon and sun come together. So the moon isn't creating these phases by herself. It's a dance Mm -hmm. between the sun, the moon and the earth. So it's interesting to think of it in that light because it's, you might hear my dog snoring if there's background. <laughs> it's my pug, she snores and sometimes Aww. people are put off by that, but it's, she's snoozing and having dream time. It's oh, perfect. Pug. perfect. <laughs> Very much part of my world. So 29 days to get through that lunar cycle, uh, the phase cycle, which starts when the sun meet when the moon meets the sun, right the The sun takes, of course, twelve months to go through the entire zodiac. The moon takes just that one month, so she's lapping the sun. So once a month, she's lapped around and met up with the sun. That's the new moon. It's the luminaries coming together, the moon in the lap of the sun, the the moon in the inner sanctum, they're whispering secrets together and and making the plan for the coming month. Mm-hmm. The new moon. It's dark. We're in. We're in full lunar consciousness. It's dark with no light. It seems <laughs> kind of primordial things. when you put it that way. Yes. And I love that for it. It's like the, the primal <laughs> gestational dark. It's the dark in which things have the opportunity to grow before they reach the light. So that's, that's the essence of the new moon is conception. It's that dark and fertile space that allows for conception which is something that happens outside of consciousness away from the light in that primal darkness so we get to repeat that creative cycle every month that begins in that primal darkness and begins with conception um I've developed a set of questions called the lunar keys, which are questions for reflection for each of the major phases that I think help us to connect with that archetype and that energy of each phase. And the one for the new moon is what is being conceived? I think in popular astrology, there's a lot of emphasis on manifesting with the new moon. and it's great. I'm all about that. I think we can definitely use her cycles for goal setting and for getting the things we want in life. But before that, there's dropping into the mystery and asking, "What is beginning in my life?" Because that's really what that what that's about. For anybody who has had the experience of physically conceiving a child, we know that that usually happens without our conscious awareness, and that. After that happens, we still have no idea (laughs) who it is that we've conceived. There's so much that's still hidden. And that's really the essence of the new moon. Something is conceived, we don't know what yet. As she takes light, we'll know more and more. Well, when I say no, I mean, we know, the body knows, the deep heart and mind know, but the conscious mind doesn't know. The solar aspect doesn't know. So next is the crescent moon. She's taken a little bit of light. And there we can start to, to, to see what's developing. So this is um, this is kind of that moment when, when the plant bursts out of when the seed breaks apart, maybe hasn't emerged from the earth yet, but you get those two little first leaves and there's an emergence. The light emerges and that's the energy that that crescent moon carries is an emergence. We start to see what it is that has been conceived and begin to be able to define it. What is emerging is the question that we can reflect on during that phase. The quarter moons, okay, and there's confusion with the naming here, because when we look up in the sky, we see half of the face of the moon. So sometimes people say half moon. It's actually the quarter moon, because it's one quarter of the way through the cycle, 90 degrees from the sun. So in astrology, that's called a square aspect, very dynamic. So what happens when you look up in the sky and see that sharp line on the moon, it's gonna be one of the sharpest days of the month. It's a day of choice. When Mm -hmm. the moon gets to that point, she's half light, half dark. She's going either darker or lighter from there. And it's usually a time when we can think about what needs to be adjusted. If we think about the growth cycle, it's like when we have to start to pull out some of those seedlings, because there's so much has grown Mm -hmm. and we have to make those hard cutting decisions And you will notice this if you start your lunar observance and you notice those days. Look at that sharp edge. It's the only time we see a sharp edge on the face of the moon. And um, you'll feel that sharpness in your life that day. Yeah, it's time to come through something and make a decision. So we can ask, what needs adjustment? The first quarter is different than the last quarter because it's adjusting at the beginning instead of adjusting towards the end. So... In real time, this is only a weekend. (laughs) Next is when we see that ripe moon. She's not quite full. You look up, you're like, oh, it's a full moon. No, it's not quite. Just that like ripening belly of the moon. And that's the idea of the gibbous phase. It's ripening. It's that you're talking about the raspberries in your garden. I've got them in my garden too now. And you know, you go out every day and you're like squeezing them a little (laughs) bit waiting to see if they're ready to drop. Mm. So gibbous, now you can hear a pearl. Gibbous is um, just, you're thinking, ah, tomorrow that one's going to drop off the vine. The full moon, of course, is the, when the fruit is ready. So at the gibbous moon, we ask, what is ripening? And we can look around in our life and think about what is ripening right now. Then the full moon that we're also familiar with. Uh, intensity and illumination, because the sun and moon are across from each other. So we have, we can see this is like the intrusion of solar light on lunar consciousness. We can see mm-hmm. all of the edges of things. We walk out in the night, it's still a night vision, but we can see the edges of things. And it's having to, there's a cognitive dissonance almost to that illumination. And we see things that have been shrouded in shadow for you know, however long that cycle is because the lunar cycle connects to longer cycles. So what is being illuminated? under the intensity of that full moon. Then we come to the disseminating moon when you see that ripeness, but it's starting to recede. That's like the seed pod bursting. It's time to, whatever's been created and is fully ripe at the full moon now needs to go out into the world. It's when we let go of things, like we've, you recently wrote and released a book. (laughs) It's, It's that the full moon is like, it's finished. It's mm-hmm. gone to there, And then the disseminating phase is like, oh my gosh, people are starting to read it. I can't change it anymore. It's gone out yeah. into the world. It's being released. And that is the tension of that disseminating moon, is that energy of putting something out there that has reached its fullness, and we that's it. It's now out there. Mm-hmm. There's a vulnerability to that phase of the moon, but also an excitement. Mm-hmm. So we ask what is being released? And it's release in the sense of like a book release not so much in like oh i have this i'm done with this so i'm releasing it we get to that with the balsamic. um last quarter moon again that sharp line what is ending hmm. do we need to cut away and finally the balsamic which is actually my favorite phase of the moon and the question for that is what is essential we're returning to darkness And the image that I have for that is we've created something over this whole cycle and we can't carry all of it with us, right? We've had that time to grow something, to release parts of it, to cut away parts of it. And now we're left with something. It's distilled down. It's balsamic. It's distilled (laughs) down to something thick and rich, the essence of something. And at the balsamic moon, we can have that imagery of, Distilling down our experience of the lunar month and letting go of everything except that rich essence that we want to carry over into the next cycle. So, balsamic, what is essential? Hmm. So, we've walked through that whole creative cycle. And this is what I mean by gateway. If you understand each of those phases of of the cycle, each planet walks through those phases in their own um, time. And So many of our biological cycles and our creative cycles follow that pathway. And we've been sold a line in our culture that it's all about between the new and the full moon, that Mm -hmm. that's the only part of the cycle that we're interested in is when we're gaining, when we're growing, Mm -hmm. when we're striving for completion, and and then it's just over. (laughs) <laughs> you're supposed to without any rest without any release without any time to darken and deepen you're supposed to jump into the next cycle it's not how nature works not how the moon works not how we work
1: mm-hmm. totally it's i love that you brought that up so thank you for that amazing recapitulation of the entire Holy nation this is just beautiful um probably in 2000 and oh i want to say like nine or 10 or 11 or something like that, I really started, um, I guess I was just sort of enchanted with applying the phases of the moon to my work. Mm-hmm. And then when I, um, like left my job in the wine and spirits industry and uh, was working for myself in 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, I was pretty committed for quite a long time to being like, okay, there are times of the, the month that are going to be about generativity and then times of the month where I'm just going to coast and I'm going to like you know, I'm not going to start new things. And I, this is when I'm going to tie up loose ends. And I actually found it a very, very useful way to live. So I know that there are lots of people, you know, people who menstruate who might follow the moon as well for different reasons. And maybe if you work for yourself or if there's, you know, you, you can try to apply some agency as to like when you're going to rest, but that's something that I found very helpful for me just as a human mammal on the planet to go, yeah, there are times when I can be big and visible and open and out there. And then times of the month when I can't, and I haven't ever really been able to keep it consistent with the actual moon, but I still keep to that. I usually take like the third or like the last full week of the month is my like quote unquote admin week where I'm just wrapping up, finishing things off. I don't do new client appointments. I don't do you know i i don't teach i'm just like in my lunar consciousness of i have to get very internal and i have to know that i have that kind of restorative period every month are are you like that like ha- how much have you oriented yes. your life around lunations
0: <laughs> the more i do the more reward i gain from it and 2 years ago i started that same practice of reserving one week a month as an admin week um I, I don't, I try to take any meetings at all during that week. I have a lot of sensory issues. So a a lot of being on, it's just, my brain needs a break, Mm um, work during those weeks, but it's just as you you've described and it's the week itself is restful and transformative, but knowing that it's coming helps me to modulate my energy. And it's, it's really been a game changer. And I know like you and I are in the position of, um, being entrepreneurs, so you know what they say, you get to choose the 80 hours a week that you work. Uh, ha ha. But um, we do have a lot of agency over our own schedules, and not everybody has the privilege of that. Um, but even if you can integrate these ideas in small ways, if there are things that you can take, give yourself a break from during that last that last week of the cycle. And I actually really notice when it gets thrown off, because sometimes a calendar week doesn't matter, just doesn't. Mm-hmm with what's happening with the moon and the closer I can keep it to being right before the new moon the better because I do find that my energy bottoms out right before the new moon everyone's body is so different with this and I find it really interesting you're talking about people who menstruate and that relationship with the moon which is complex in itself, and I, I think there's some sort of essentializing around that and some ideas of how we should menstruate with the moon, and there's a lot of different ways that we do or don't, and it's all good, but um, for me, when I went through menopause, my relationship with the moon really deepened because I didn't have this sort of overriding hormonal cycle that was intense. <laughs> and it's kind of the primary or root cycle that i worked with and once that leveled out i found that both the lunar and planetary cycles became a lot more available to me so again thinking about elderhood and some of that good stuff that we're not taught about this has been one of the biggest rewards for me of being postmenopausal is deepening that connection with the moon and being and It just makes me curious biologically like what's going on is my body actually more attuned to those lunar cycles because it doesn't have the the noise of the the hormonal cycle of my and I had a very intense hormonal cycle of my reproductive years so.
1: This is very exciting to hear as somebody firmly in perimenopause, and we've been having perimeno jams in the network where I feel like it's all I ever talk about with people. So I, I do try to like keep it contained on the podcast, but pretty much anyone wants to talk about uh, the um, transition from mm-hmm. menstruating to not, I, I, I love hearing people's experience of how that changes. So I love this idea that there's less signal. Maybe yeah. coming in, or maybe less noise, more signal, I guess, is the way <laughs> that it would go. Yeah.
0: that's really exciting to think about. It's really exciting. and it was such an unexpected transformation because I, I, there's such a sense of loss that can accompany that that transition. And we spend less time thinking about what's actually being gained. And there's such an interesting there's such an interesting thing that happens when all of that energy isn't being used to track along the hormonal cycle. Hmm. where we just there's a whole part of us that becomes so much more available. And I hmm. love that about being postmenopausal. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, when the years that I was perimenopausal, it was, I spent a lot of time talking, thinking, writing, but I created a whole program around menopause and as a spiritual um, uh, rite of passage and positive menopause. So I'm right there. It's a fascinating Talk about gateways, like the gateway into <laughs> elderhood, and it's been so diminished in our society. So I'm I'm really happy that you're doing that and really um, deepening into that work right now because it's really an exciting rite of passage. It has a lot of painful aspects to it, and so much beauty and reward when during and after. Mm. And it's, it's tremendous how it has expanded my work as an astrologer and my ability to really align with the planetary cycles. It's like something opens up that's more expansive that we've been using in a more focused and granular way during our reproductive years. Mm. So it's really interesting to walk through that and feel that connection more strongly. And I think sometimes when you're in the years when you're menstruating, if if you're a person who menstruates you and you're connected to the moon, there's a fear that you're gonna lose that lunar connection, but it's actually the opposite that happens.
1: Oh how inspiring and is there a phase of the moon like is it are are we thinking of this fairly typically that you have a certain um phase of the moon cycle that you relate to in elderhood like do you still totally relate to full moon the same way you used to or are there times of the the lunar cycle that you are more looking forward to than others
0: i that i i've never really thought that through but Maybe, because I definitely feel the charm of the balsamic moon these days in my life. Maybe that is the stage of life that I'm in. Um, But I think there is other things that affect that as well as with our stage of life. One being the phase of the moon that we were born under. I was born under a new moon. I love the new moon. And just what you're going through in life. But as as we come into elderhood and begin to see the beauties of elderhood, we We do maybe deepen our understanding of those dark phases of the moon. Mm. I don't know. There's a part of that can that can be really reductive too, with the the kind of new moon, full moon, dark moon. Mm. Um, there's truth there for sure in our life cycle, but all of those phases of life are so much more expansive mm. than than just relating them to one one phase mm. of the moon. Mm -hmm. and come in at different levels of maturity into their lives as well and it's interesting to see how that tracks with with lunar um with the the lunar phase they were born under Mm. but so i think yes i think yes that i have uh, a greater appreciation of that the last quarter moon's always tough but i love a good balsamic moon Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that Sounds great. My, my kiddo was born under a balsamic moon. And so I, I have this strong sense of like what kind of personality that's like or h- how they straddle different worlds or how they're always kind of like between things. And so um, I, I am charmed by and allured by <laughs> balsamic moons, even though I personally have felt the most resonance with new moon. I think yeah. I was born in first quarter, but I have to double yeah. check that. But I, I have found I can access that lunar consciousness and the part of me that um, I feel is like my most spiritual self, my most intuitive self, my wisest self. I, I feel like my dreams are the most prophetic. I really do feel kind of like a stereotype where <laughs> just I really get into new moon. But um, certainly looking forward to appreciating the charms of yeah. balsamic and even like the, that last quarter. What are some of the rituals that you personally? like to do if you you know so you've talked about these different phases and so there would be different rituals that you might do at different times. What are some of your go-to like if you were like okay new person who wants yeah. to be doing Astro magic here's what you should have in your toolkit for rituals to work with the moon um
0: Number one just that thing that I said off the top which is daily, Mm-hmm. daily communion with the moon herself and then on top of that i would add an altar building practice where you take the new moon and create an altar for the new moon on the you know sometime in that three days okay each phase is about a little bit more than three days and you can modulate that depending on how much of the mystery you want to invite in or how much sort of agency and conscious control you want to have over the outcome of any of those new moon rituals. Um, The more light she takes, the more conscious control you have over outcomes. And, you know, different times call for different approaches to that. So building an altar to the new moon that's kind of stripped down and bare, just kind of, you know, four directions, center, honor something about the nature of that moon, like the sign that that new moon is in, or something um, in your own charter, in your own life that you're hoping to grow and work on. Simple symbols of that, leaving lots of space. And I mean, I have four four planets in Taurus. So I love this idea of kitchen magic and actually putting our hands on things and having a physical place um, in our homes. And I'm all about building altars on little trays. So you can take it with you. You can get it up out of sight of visitors if you want to or small hands. So this very simple practice of having a lovely tray, building a simple altar on it for the new moon continuing to be aware as the days go on and the phases go by and maybe adding an object or two to the altar for each of the major phases Mm -hmm. and when we get to the balsamic moon it's that most important work of of stripping it down and looking at all of the objects that you've collected on that altar over the course of the month and what they represent for you and doing that work of asking what is essential kind of through Mm -hmm. that that um that month-long process of altar building. So I, even that is a really simple and beautiful place to start, face-to-face communion with the moon herself, and then building and dismantling that altar sort of in tune with her expanding and, and waning, and then releasing it, cleaning it up, making everything you know refreshed and cleaning the tray and washing your crystals and all of that in time for the new moon started all over again Mm -hmm. um new moon practices of bathing bathing in the ocean taking a salt bath purification rituals whatever that means to you that balsamic new moon time like you said that we're straddling the time out of time between worlds between phases between cycles to honor that very simply with decluttering cleaning um Certainly cleaning your altar and sacred spaces, cleaning your body in a ritual way or bathing in the ocean or some kind of living water uh, for either the balsamic or the new moon is a really beautiful way to connect. Um, I like to write and dream with the moon. So I keep um, a dream journal that's keyed to the moon. You can write down the phase that she's in, but also even getting more granular, the degree and sign. And very magical things start to happen when you dream with the moon and connecting, especially connecting with the dead around, if you know their charts or charts of ancestors that you want to connect with, they will come to you when the moon is at the degree of their sun often. Mm -hmm. So she very much talk about translating the light, like there's a very real and practical way in which she makes open certain gateways to us at certain moments. And now we're talking the zodiacal cycle where she is going through the signs. So that dreaming with the moon can be very complex, or it can be as simple as inviting a dream for the new moon, what wants to be conceived in my life, inviting a dream for the full moon, that is, what do I need to see? Mm-hmm. And accessing your lunar consciousness that way. Um, moon magic is... <sighs> It's a great place to begin to practice magic because once we venture into planetary magic, it's the precautions become more and more important as we work with bigger and bigger archetypes with longer and longer cycles and and intense transpersonal impact. Practicing with the moon is almost has this like childlike quality of like not much, with the exception of eclipses, really not much harm can come to you playing with lunar magic. Mm -hmm. So it's a great place to hone your magical skills and learn about self-protection in magic and learn about appropriate magic and learn about applying your own creativity to magic because the moon is very forgiving. And um, really, there again, with the very notable exception of eclipses, it's just a great practicing place. It's a great little lab in mm. which to magical skills without um, without provoking uh, volatile archetypes. Right.
1: So, okay, so you've mentioned eclipses a couple of times, but also do you give extra space or caution around times when the moon is void, of course. And so, and, and I guess my follow-up would be uh, around any times when you're applying caution to lunar magic, like why what could be the negative
0: outcomes so void of course moon is just to give the definition it's this applies not to the phases of the moon but to the moon through the zodiacal cycle so she takes about two days to go through each sign she'll she'll make a final major aspect with some one of the other planets she'll have that last conversation before she leaves the party Um, The last major aspect that she makes in a sign kind of gives the vibe of that whole transit through that sign. And then after that last major aspect, she's what we call void, of course. It's like you're at a party, you're talking to all the people, the moon's there talking to all the planets as she moves through, like she's in Sagittarius right now. So she'll talk to everybody while she's in Sag. And then she'll have that last conversation, like you're at the doorway, you're saying goodbye to your friend that hosted the party. And whatever happens during that conversation, maybe you have a little fight. Maybe you just shed some tears or it's just a really beautiful conversation that you have. Whatever that mood is, are you carrying that mood as you're driving home, right? That's the void of course moon. Um, The thing about doing stuff in the void of course moon, it's like an in-between time. So we say it's time for finishing stuff up. If you want your magic to have impact, Don't do it during the void, of course, moon, not because something bad's going to happen, but because nothing much is going to happen. Nothing will come of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Send in your taxes during the void moon is what my mentor (laughs) always said. You know, you don't want to (laughs) be off your taxes. I do. I do send in my taxes during the void moon. It's good for that kind of stuff. Like, I don't want to fuss about this. I don't want anything particular to come of it. That's how we use the void moons or just continuing with something that you're doing. Really, there's no harm that's going to come from it um one of the uh one of the uh things that happens to us as we become astrologers is we kind of get it's an occupational hazard to get like overly concerned with whatever transits are happening and kind of over schedule yourself and get overly worried about the impact of certain transits the moon is a really important indicator she's a trigger of other bigger transits but and you can I think to answer your question succinctly, with the exception of eclipses, there's not much harm you can do with lunar magic. And that's why it's a good laboratory. Hmm. I mean, as long as you are exercising your common sense magical cautions, which is part of the wisdom that you always share too. So anybody who's listening to you is going to know already because... Yeah, it's I've, that's such a valuable part of the wisdom that you share, Carmen, is that just the common sense and yet very esoteric approaches to ritual ceremony and magic that keep us safe. Mm-hmm. All that applies to our practices, but the moon, it's like, imagine a very safe caretaker of a child. You're going to be able to, you're safe to do all kinds of behaviors that you might not mm-hmm. want to do as an adult or take out in front of somebody else in the world, the moon will hold that. So avoid, avoid, of course, moons, just because you're not gonna have much impact during that time. Pay attention to the sign that she's in and who she's cohabitating with and talking to, um, you know, which other planets she's mingling with because of that translation of the light. She absorbs and holds, that's like our intuition and our empathy. We absorb the energy of who we're with and she does that with the planetary. Uh, energies as well but what about eclipses yeah so that's a kind of no fly in my opinion and there are very different opinions about this some people swear by eclipse magic i think it's too much of a wild card and um in the hands of expert spirit workers sure but eclipses are a temporary cessation of the light and energy from either the moon or the sun. And there's something really profound about that. And I think that there is a reason that historically and across cultures, eclipses have been treated with respect and a little bit of fear. I never want to instill fear in people around astrology, but in my opinion, the purpose of eclipses is to go inwards, reflect and meditate, and the very best use of eclipse energy is what it's going to bring to light for us. So if we start trying to use some conscious agency to make something happen during a very volatile period of time, it's not really the best use of that energy. Mm -hmm. That energy is about tuning into what needs to end in our lives, or what is ending, or what are the difficult truths that we need to face. Um, And there's just a of volatility that is bigger than our own energy that happens during those times they're Mm -hmm. very very sacred times the whole Mm -hmm. eclipse window between the first and the last eclipse um so people will want to experiment with that because volatile energy is compelling and you know sometimes we we just we we learn by doing and all magic is experimental and and we are always walking an edge with magic but in my opinion there are better uses of eclipse energy than trying to make shit happen because it's it's already happening right (laughs)
1: something's already happening okay so thank you for that my last question is a little bit different from what i usually ask but um familiar enough i think how would you say the the moon can support us in our grief and our rage.
0: Mm. The moon is enduring and ever present. And the paradox of that is that she's always changing. And I think she can, can you hear Pearl Snow? You must be able to hear her now. <laughs> it's always the background in my life. Um, This is almost, I almost don't have words for this, but there's something about bearing witness in a way that's both deeply empathetic and also kind of stoic that that presence of the moon has. She bears those craters on her face that are the evidence of so many impacts over the course of her geological life and she holds that place in our heart that carries those impacts of the things that have hit us hard and she's always there to witness us so i think it's that power of ever changing presence and always being carried out of the darkness into light, always being carried out of the light into darkness. Just the reminder that that's the nature of our lives here. It's inexorable. It's kind of terrifying, but it's also incredibly beautiful and comforting to have that validated by something that's so far away and yet so close. And she is capable of holding all of it going back to those early memories that i was sharing you know the humans around us are are full of their own grief and rage and and foibles and failings and even even nature can feel like she fails us sometimes but that stoical ever-present face of the moon reflects both the hopelessness and the deepest hope, I think that we have and holds that. So it holds us in that place of paradox, which is um, kind of the essence of these times too, that what what we are facing is unbearable. And yet we are the ones that are here to bear witness and to face it. And something about seeing that reflected at such a great distance, but yet so close. I don't want to call it comfort, but it's something like comfort. Mm -hmm. Mm, That's beautiful.
1: Ah, thank you Bronwyn for leading us to this place. That's so, well, it just feels so lunar. Right. I feel very in touch with lunar consciousness right you were both Both wet and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I really appreciate you being here to share your wisdom. I wanted to have you on for a long time. I think this was the perfect, perfect venue. So thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much. It was just a pleasure, such a deep pleasure to be here and share this with you.
1: I... Love listening to Bronwyn. If you want to learn more from her, Bronwyn is leading a live round of her signature program, Light of the Moon, and the live round is starting July 17th. But it's this very cool hybrid system where You could buy it right away and you'll get these eight recorded modules that you can dive into immediately and then you can join into the flow of these four live weekly calls starting with the new moon in July. So I love, love, love that hybrid system. Might adopt something like that myself in the future. Sounds so great. I also would like to thank SJS who left a review on Amazon for my book, The Spirited Kitchen. So big listener shout out to SJS. They gave my book five stars and they said, I love this book so much. Recipes, Laura and more for the hedge witch in all of us. A fun read and even more fun to practice from. Five stars to you, SJS. That was an awesome review. Succinct. You just, you nailed it. Three lines. So Sweet. I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you to everyone who's leaving reviews on Amazon, um, on Goodreads, on Thrift Books, wherever, or or Chapters Indigo, wherever you purchased. Uh, Reviews make such a difference in the life of book sales, so really appreciate that. The Numinous Network is where we cross-pollinate concepts from... Spirituality and neuroscience, attachment theory, polyvagal theory, trauma recovery, collapse awareness. I swear there's a through line there, and you only have to spend a short while with us to see it clearly. The Numinous Network is an ecosystem of support for your personal growth, and this summer we're giving extra attention to planets and plant magic. So if you enjoyed this, I hope you'll come check us out in the network. Um, At the very least, I hope you'll stick around for the rest of this mini series. Uh, You can learn more about the Numinous Network at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.